0: whether it's for young and fresh wines or for those with ageing potential. Giovanni Minetti's family has lived in Tuscany since the 1650s, but his business was only terracotta tiles, not wine, until his father bought the rundown Fontodi Estate in 1968. Since he took over in 1979, Giovanni's helped to transform this spot in the d'Oro into one of the leading wineries in Canti Classico, using organic, biodynamic and regenerative practices and focusing on Sangiovese from a special place. Hi Giovanni, how are you? Very good, very good, thank you. Good morning. Uh, Nice to hear your voice. I mean, I know today it's a bank holiday in England because you have got the coronation, but uh, you're you're working today, aren't you, in Panzano? Yeah, I mean, um,
1: Panzano at work as usual, a busy day as usual. (laughs) I'm in the tasting room, uh, very, very happy to talk with you. But you've met the king, haven't you? You've met King Charles. Yes, yes, yes. I had a great privilege to, to, to meet King Charles uh, in 2017 in Florence. Uh, they arranged a, a wine tasting and they asked me to pour my flaccionello to him. And uh, it was a very, very, very nice meeting. We, we, we talk about, you know, organic and sustainability because he's a, he's a real pioneer mm-hmm. uh, and, and very, a, a great expert about those matters. So it was a very, very nice meeting him. And does he like wine? Yeah, 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 yeah. He liked liked my wine. He enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a great, great privilege and great great joy.
0: Well, who couldn't like your wine, really? I mean, (laughs) who who couldn't like Flaccionello? He has to be crazy. Anyway, lots to talk about. I mean, a little bit about your family background, because it's unusual. Your family has been in Tuscany for a long time, at least since, what, 1650, but they were in terracotta, yeah, and not in wine. Is that correct?
1: Yes we um, my family is from Florence and uh, since 1650 they they have another activity they produce terracotta floor tiles roof tiles uh, and vessels for for the garden and uh, if you are familiar with Florence uh, you know the dome the, the cupola is all, uh, made with our, uh, roof tiles or, uh, the floor tiles of Uffizi Museums well, or... Uffizi
0: and the Duomo are both, are both Manetti tiles, are they? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And,
1: uh, but my father was, uh, you know, very passionate about wine. We used to own, uh, like... Every, you know, all the Florentine families, uh, we used to own another farm in the Chianti area, but he was in love with the Pansano and uh, with the Pansano wines. So his dream was to buy a vineyard in Pansano and uh, and and he did. (laughs) Yeah, and he did it. And uh, the dream became true in 1968. uh, he, He found Fontodi and was in quite bad shape because the former owner was not taking care so well about Fontodi so he started to restore the buildings to replant the vineyards uh, at the end of the day you know after after uh, working in the in the other company he used to drive immediately to Fontodi
0: and uh, doing all the extra work i mean you uh, were 5 then weren't you and then yet you st- you kind of fell in love a little bit with Fontodi too didn't you no, I have, a, I have a very nice story
1: because, uh, yeah, when he acquired, it, I was five and uh, he convinced my mom to go to the notary to sign the contract with me, bringing me there. And uh, even if I was so, so little, I have few images in my, my mind, uh, the very long and boring meeting, <laughs> except my father, all, all the other people were smoking. So it was dark and foggy, uh, a nightmare, <laughs> But uh, my mom is uh, still telling me that uh, you know his uh, his idea was to you know start it, to start to transfer his passion for wine to me even uh, at the very beginning. Mm. So even if I was uh, only five, and uh, I was able to do it, and I, I became the farmer of the family.
0: I mean, you know, by the time you were what sixteen, he'd moved the whole family to Fonteuil, hadn't he? And were you starting really to get involved with wine then?
1: Yeah. It, 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 you can imagine it was a shock because I used to live in Florence in the city and I had to you know get up very early in the morning taking my Vespa, driving to Florence uh, in the winter time was very cold and, yeah, so not nice uh, but uh, you know immediately after my my having moved to to the countryside I remain uh, you know uh, captured uh, mm. about the beauty of, of the place, uh, the, the the beauty of the agriculture. Growing grapes was uh, something amazing, and uh, and also starting to be involved in the winemaking. And that was the, the you know the, the start of my career at Fonteaud.
0: Because you never you never studied enology, did you? Or or, or, or agriculture? You almost learned by doing. You studied economics, right?
1: Yeah, I studied economics because um, uh, it was possible studying economics uh, to continue to work. So uh, I was uh, working during the day and studying at home, going to Florence at the university only to take exams. Uh, It was not possible. We were not allowed to do that with the scientific uh, faculty like uh, agronomy. So that is what... uh, why I decided to study economics, <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, it's always useful to, to run a business and to manage a company. It's, it's uh, very useful. Why not? <laughs> but I have to, to study also by myself, you know, the physiology of the vine and uh, the, the winemaking. Uh, and I, have, I had also, you know, some
0: mentors. Who were uh, your mentors? Who taught you?
1: Yeah, wh- one of them, the most important is Franco Bernabé that uh, joined me in, uh, in the same year, 1979. That was really a turning point for Fontodi, 1979. And uh, what I know about winemaking, uh, you know, I, 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 I learned by him. Mm. And also, you know, an old cellar master called Beppino and uh, another uh, vineyard manager called Guido. They're all my, all my mentors and I have a beautiful memory about them, mm. about uh, the time spent with them.
0: It's the best way to learn. So you learn from the people who've been there a long time, but you also you learn with Franco Bernabe, who was already a very famous consultant in 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 Tuscany, yeah.
1: Yeah. So I had I had the, the, the you know I was quite lucky to 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 talk at the same time with. Uh, a professional uh, person with uh, a lot of scientific preparation mm. and uh, the old employees uh, with a lot of mm. experience
0: yeah uh, that's uh, the best way isn't it yeah
1: the combination of the two was uh, you know was something magic and worked very well mm. <laughs> i
0: think D- just tell us it because we'll learn later you're the, the president of the consortium of chianti classico just give us a little overview of chianti classico you know where it sits within chianti you know how many hectares there are and how different it is in terms of altitude and soil types and things like that
1: yeah, the Classico is the wine region located right in the heart of uh, Tuscany, uh, south of Florence, north of Siena. So right in the middle. Uh, it's a beautiful hilly area. Uh, the elevation is quite high. The vineyards are located between 250 to 700 meters, mm-hmm. so quite high. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so varying, so it's a very complex area. Uh, with a lot of uh, different uh, combination of uh, natural factors. Mm. So exposure to to the sun or uh, soil composition, 11 different uh, uh, soil formation, uh, geological formation. Mm. And uh, so there are multiple combinations of uh, uh, good natural factors, but believe me, everywhere there are ideal conditions to to make uh, an outstanding wine. Mm. there are 7000 hectares under vine mm. but the surface under vine is only 15% of the total surface of the of the, the territory mm. that means uh, that uh, there is a lot of uh, surface covered by forest by woods mm. and that it, it is uh, you know it is um, very positive because uh, you know the the woods uh, can uh, make the microclimate cooler mm. because they absorb more more rain when mm. the rain comes mm. And, uh, and it's also a great source of biodiversity because uh, the forest is uh, you know, a natural environment. Mm-hmm. So, that is, so it's very helpful to have all those woods around the vineyards to, to make a, a much better wine, even if the climate is, is changing. And Who
0: owns the woods? I mean, are they state-owned?
1: Yeah, they're almost the same, uh, the same farms, the same estates. They own together with the vineyards and olive groves, uh, uh, they, they own the woods. Yeah, they are chestnut or oak trees or something else.
0: And what about what about Panzano, where where you're based? I mean, I know this valley. People talk about it as the concadoro, don't they? The, the golden shell. Are you in the golden shell? Yeah, we are in the golden shell. And uh, the golden
1: shell uh, the, is uh, is the valley that opens up south of uh, Panzano village. It's like a basin. It's like a natural amphitheater with a full southern exposure. So golden because of there is lots of light. It's quite warm during the day and that is uh, very important to you know to to allow a, a full ripening of of the grapes of the fruit uh, providing a richness good concentration and uh, you know the, the the structure of the wine um but because of the elevation that is quite high the average is around 450 uh, the nights are very cool so there is a lot of uh, difference in temperature between the and night and that helps uh, you know, to have a slower ripening and to to maintain, to keep the acidity, the freshness, and the finesse, the finesse of the tenants. It's also very open to to the west side, so there is a nice breeze from the ocean, from the Tyrrhenian Sea every day in the afternoon, uh, keeping the the, the grapes, uh, you know, healthy, very healthy. Um, so it's a really a magic place. Hmm. Also, by the the soil point of view, there is a lot of complexity. Three different kinds of soil, all of them very rocky, uh, allowing a perfect drainage and with a lot of calcare. Hmm. Calcare is something very, very important Hmm. to maintain the acidity.
0: You can taste that in the in your wines, I think, as well. Yeah, you can taste a
1: little bit of chalky finish and the fresh and Mm. freshness at the end.
0: Mm. Mm. And and, you know, you've got 110 hectares now, I think, and most of that is Sangiovese. How much of the 110 hectares would be Sangiovese? Uh, ninety-five percent of of the vineyards
1: are planted with Sangiovese. The rest is a little bit of. uh, uh, Sauvignon Blanc and Trebbiano to make a white wine called Meriggio, mm. uh, a little bit of Pinot Noir and Syrah to make two 100% mm. monovarietal uh, mm. wines, mm. and a little bit of Malvasia to make Santo. the rest is Sangiovese uh, to make the, the main range mm. of Fondoli.
0: I mean, Sangiovese is quite a difficult grape to grow, isn't it? And especially when you look outside Tuscany or outside Italy. Really, nobody's really been successful growing it in the New World. I mean, you know, Argentina a little bit, maybe maybe in Australia. Uh, I think I've seen one in, even in in uh, in Chile and and in New Zealand. Why, you know, what what's the trick to growing Sangiovese? What what's it like as a grape?
1: It's quite difficult to grow um, because it's quite, uh, you know, moody and uh, uh, it requires uh, the very best. So Sangiovese wants to be planted in the best soil, uh, rocky, on slope, allowing a good drainage. Um, If you don't have the perfect, um, you know, combination of uh, soil, microclimate, exposure, Sangiovese makes poor wines. Mm. Otherwise, you know, in Chianti Classico or in Montalcino or in Montepulciano, the the, the three best areas for Sangiovese, except uh, other few uh, micro areas uh, like Rufina, Mm. you know, in those areas makes really the best, the best quality. That Mm. means uh, a wine capable to reflect the territory. And that is the, the most important quality of Sangiovese. I like to say, Sangiovese is like a photo paper, you know. Mm. Uh, so Sangiovese doesn't have strong varietal characters, mm. but it has the capability to remain impressed mm. by the terroir flavors, the terroir mm. characters, mm. and that—that's a beauty, you know. It's a beauty because it's something that can really. Uh, help us to make uh, wines with a stronger identity, uh, wines with more uniqueness mm. that cannot be replicated in another part of the world. So mm. thanks God, only in Tuscany you can make, you can you can it, make a, great,
0: a great Sangiovese-based wine. And, and tell me a little bit about clones, because there were some very bad clones planted in the 70s in particular, uh, in the 60s as well, but more in the 70s, I think. I mean, tell us about clonal material, and how important that is.
1: Yes, some of them, uh, they were not so good because, uh, especially the ones, um, you know, um, ex- produced uh, in the 60s and th- 70s, mm-hmm. because at that time, the goal was uh, in- increasing the quantity. Mm-hmm. So the goal was quantity, not quality, or reduction of the cost. So the clones coming from that uh, period, uh, they make very big bunches with big berries uh, and a diluted wine. Mm. Uh, and it was very, very important to, you know, the Chianti Classico 2000 project, that is the name of uh, an experimenting project, uh, started in 1990 and uh, ended in uh, 2000. And they they produced, they discovered uh, 10 different clones uh, uh, that are really, really good. Mm. But in the same time, uh, some of the best uh, estates in Chianti Classico, they made selection by themselves. Mm. And even in Fontodi, we, we did... Muscle selection now we are at the third level of muscle selection that means going in the vineyard and um, uh, let's say um, trying to select uh, the vines that are producing the, the best grapes and uh, reproducing them and replanting uh, in, in another parcel the same the same uh, selection mm-hmm. uh, doing that you can really have uh, you know your materials okay uh, yeah. um, so my, A Sangiovese that is uh, really suitable for your place.
0: Would you rather like a muscle selection than than a clone then? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We we
1: always start from a muscle selection and then we go to reducing little by little the number of individuals Mm -hmm. to a smaller group at the the very best of Mm -hmm. them.
0: Tell us a little about the way you farm, because you're certified organic, uh, you also use some biodynamic practices, don't you, and you're very interested and always have been for a long time in what we now call regenerative agriculture, that's using using animals in the vineyard. Can you just tell us a little bit about the way you farm and when you started doing that? Because it's very interesting.
1: Yeah, it was a, a work in progress. So when I started, uh, like everybody, we used to spray some uh, you know chemical products. Uh, not so much because even my father was quite sensitive or uh, sensible on that, uh, on that field, but, uh, that was the, the, you know, quite normal to do that. Uh, but I, I didn't feel very well because when I was walking in, uh, in my vineyards, uh, the smell was not so nice. And during the flowering, I was unable to, f- to, to feel the the the, fla- the the smell of the, of the vine flower and uh, um it was like in chain, you know so i wanted to break the chains <laughs> and uh, and i started asking to my older employees uh, you know how how could you do how could you make great wines in the past before the second world war mm. without any chemical process and they they told me don't worry um, we can do that. We can do that and, uh, go back to copper uh, sulfate and, uh, sulfur. So the, the natural products to spray or go back to cow manure to fertilize the vineyards and, uh, you, you don't have any problem. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I took a risk of course, mm-hmm. but I started in a parcel, the best parcel. So <laughs> I started from the best parcel from Faccianello vineyard. And immediately after I, I extended to, to the rest of the property and with a, with a lot of success, 10 years after, um, again, as a work in progress, I reintroduced a cattle, uh, starting from, uh, four cows. Now I have 65 cows. So, <laughs> so I increased a lot, the, the population of cows in my, in my farm, um, uh, because i was very curious and interested in uh, the the principles of biodynamic mm. um, but there were also the principles of uh, traditional agriculture in italy because uh, many many years ago everybody was doing that uh, all the farms used to have cows mm. to produce manure combining the manure with the fermented skins or stems or uh, um, you know the the um, residual prunings of the vines uh, Putting all together, letting, letting ferment this compost, uh, it is something really amazing. It's a bomb of uh, vitality, a bomb of fertility, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so you can increase you can increase the the, uh, the say the the healthiness of the vines. They produce a better quality. They can defend much better against uh, enemies mm-hmm. like fungus, bacteria, or uh, insects, or uh, you know what else. And also we can uh, really increase the the, the terroir flavors, the sense of place, because, uh, you know, reducing the interfering from outside, maximizing the internal resources, that is something that can really
0: give us uh, an extra quality. Mm. So you're using mulching below the vines and you're using cover crops between the vines? We use cover crops. Uh, we we we
1: put fava beans when we need to add uh, and, and some more some more nitrogen uh, or uh, a mix of other of other vegetation of other kind of gra- type of grasses. Uh, but uh, the cover crop, so grassing the the rows is uh, is uh, is almost a must mm-hmm. right now. Also because of the climate change, you know, when when uh, rain comes, uh, you can reduce the erosion. Because uh, what we are facing now when rain comes uh, is heavier than before. Mm-hmm. So it's very important to, to keep cover the surface of the soil to, to avoid the erosion. And also when it's uh, in the summer, when it's uh, quite dry, uh, we can preserve, we can maintain more humidity in the soil. And do you plough? We, we plough just one row every two uh, okay. in the winter wintertime uh, to, to mix the, the compost to the soil. Uh, and after that, we just cut the grass.
0: Okay, nothing. It's interesting, isn't it? Just tell me a little bit about your travels, because you've always been a great traveler. You speak amazing English. Is there any region that you've been to where you've learned a lot, that you've brought it back to Tuscany with you? Is anyone that's influenced you?
1: Yes, of course, especially at the beginning, you know, when we have to uh, do something different from the former generation. Uh, I'm talking about, uh, you know, end of the 70s, beginning of the 80s. uh, I I traveled in the best wine regions, uh, you know, uh, in France, of course, Mm -hmm. Burgundy, Mm -hmm. uh, Bordeaux, Champagne, Northern Rhone. I'm a big fan of uh, Northern Rhone valley wines me too <laughs> and, and, uh, but also in napa because in napa at that time uh, napa and sonoma so california because regarding the the scientific point of view you know the the wine technologies uh, were much more modern there in california than, than in europe mm. so mm, I've, I've, I've been quite influenced by by both of them and uh but also, you know, uh, traveling to promote my wines uh, in uh, in uh, cities like London or New York or San Francisco was very, you know, very very important for me to understand, uh, you know, the taste of uh, of the wine lovers in those countries, and uh, and uh, they really invited me to to, to you know to concentrate all my efforts on quality and to make uh, you know trying to make a better wine.
0: I I want to ask you also a little bit about the the so-called Super Tuscan movement, because you've talked about the 70s in in Tuscany being a time of of change and not all the wines were great. And there was kind of a rejection of that in a way, wasn't it? And you, you know, 1981, you you weren't even 20. You created Flaccinello, which is one of the great Super Tuscans. How did the movement start? Were you talking to each other, whether you influencing each other? No, no, no,
1: no. This was quite funny. It was a spontaneous movement. Uh, I like to, to, to say a sort of a revolution, you know, uh, something really that br- broke the rules uh, because the situation at the time was quite bad. Uh, there was uh, an ocean of wine made in Chianti Classico. And, and first of all, the Supertasca movement, with the only exception of Sassicaia, was, uh, was born in Chianti Classico. Mm. And, uh, and the reason why was because there was a big crisis in the Chianti Classico region. Um, a lot of wine of poor quality, and uh, the demand was not enough. Was not uh, you know uh, asking for all all that quantity, so we had we had to do something different. And uh, another point was uh, a wrong blend because at that time, Chianti Classico was a blend of Sangiovese, mm. but uh, with uh, with fifteen percent of white grapes. Mm. And, and uh, heading the white grapes, the white must uh, to the Sangiovese was meaning, you know, diluting the wine mm, and uh, making a wine uh, without any, you know, depth or richness mm. or structure and incapable to age. Mm. So we had to do something different and uh, so reducing the yield, going uh, towards 100% Sangiovese, um, introducing the small barrels, the barriques. Uh, or taking care of all the processes with a much more professional approach, like uh, malolactic fermentation, for instance, or uh, uh, the temperature control, or stainless steel tanks. All those things uh, that we introduced at the time were very, very necessary to to change the situation and to make a much, much better quality. Uh, And immediately, those wines uh, were successful. And Flaccinello was
0: one of them. And what about French grapes? Because some people use Cabernet and Merlot, even Syrah, in some cases. Um, was that something that appealed to you? Uh,
1: not so much. I I grafted, I regrafted only a few rows in the Vina del Sorbo with Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, making a blend. In fact, Vigno del Sorbo at the beginning was a blend of Sangiovese with 10% Cabernet Sauvignon. But little by little, uh, I, you know, reduced that uh, that amount and uh, after 2011, uh, also Vigno del Sorbo is a 100% Sangiovese. It's San Gio- yeah. that is what I like, you know, for yeah. all my, you know, range of Chianti Classico yeah. and also Braccianello, all my wines are 100% Sangiovese. I like purity, I like the, you know, the, the, Use, to use only San base.
0: Mm-hmm. T- tell us a little bit about your winemaking style because you've said, you know, you started at the same time as Franco Bernabe, who's a great friend of yours. He still works with you as your consultant. Um, do, how would you describe the style of winemaking? And I just wonder whether it's evolved over the years.
1: Yeah, there is always an, an evolution. There is always a sort of fine tuning. Uh, uh, we have always a lot of uh, experimentation, you know, to, uh that we that we do. And uh, but if I can concentrate all my you know all my ideas or my philosophy in one word, I think the the right word is uh respect. Uh so respect for Mother Nature in the vineyard, um, being organic and biodynamic, uh, and also in the winemaking trying to respect the territory. So to let express the territory. In fact, when uh, when um, uh, you know when I'm showing my my cellar to to visitors uh, and they ask me, "Are you the winemaker?" My my answer is not. I'm not a winemaker. I'm a natural assistant. <laughs> 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 so that is my approach. I try to do my best uh, to let uh, Fonto di Panzano, the nature, uh, you know. Uh, give birth to, to to a wine and, uh, you know, so respect is the key word. Yeah.
0: And, and tell us a little bit about the type of oak you use and also amphoras because you're using terracotta amphoras, aren't you? Made from your own terracotta as well these days.
1: Yeah, I, all my wines are aged for a couple of years. Uh, I use in the same time, uh, small barrels, uh, so 225 liters and the larger cast that is more traditional. So 25 to 50 hectoliters. Both of them made with the French oak that I think is uh much better with my wines. Mm. And uh and also in the last uh, 15 years, I I restarted also to use Amphoras. Uh that is something very you know romantic because uh uh it's like closing a circle, you know. Um for, for more than one reason, because uh you know amphoras are made in my other company by my brother uh, Marco. Um, we used to make amphora so my my grand grandfather used to make amphora for wine uh, until 1930 and then you know <laughs> probably the demand uh, there was no more demand of them but we kept uh, the recipes to to make it again and uh, and also because the amphoras are made uh, with the galestro clay galestro is uh, one of the main uh, you know kind type of soil that we have at fontodi or in chianti classico so it's like uh, you know going back home for a wine Going back to a, a container, to an environment made of the same clay where the vines has the roots,
0: you know. So so, so, so the amphora and the and the clay of the vineyards are the same thing in a way. The
1: same thing, the same yeah. thing. So it's it's the, probably the most natural, <laughs> you know, mm. uh, type of container to 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 let the wine, uh, you know, ferment or uh, or uh, age. Yeah. Uh, these are very very interesting also because they don't. Uh, uh, give to the wine any spiciness mm. but um, the wine that you can get from the amphora is very pure mm. uh, just flour uh, fruit, minerals and uh, so it's something very very interesting uh, and also in the flaccinello we, a few years ago we started to add a little percentage like 2-3% like salt and pepper you know mm. in a, <laughs> when you're preparing food so in order to give to the final blend an extra freshness uh, and it works. It works. But not only because I'm
0: emotionally involved, but because it really works. <laughs> it really does. Yeah, okay. The, the, two, I think you make two wines that are called Gran Selezione, don't you? Can you just explain when Gran Sele- Selezione started and what's the idea behind it?
1: Yeah, the Gran Selezione is a new uh, category of Chianti Classico uh, that has been introduced uh, back in 2014. Um, so now we have a a sort of pyramid with three different levels. I'm talking about the general appellation, Chianti Classico Appellation. The base is uh, composed by the Chianti Classico Annata, Tukur. In the middle, there is the Chianti Classico Reserva and at the very top, Chianti Classico Gran Selezione. Um, to be a Gran Selezione, a wine must be made selecting your best grapes, you're because they, are, they should come from your own vineyards. So it should be an estate-grown, uh, and estate-bottled wine. And uh, only the vintners, only the, the, the vine grower knows perfectly where, there, where are located the best grapes. So you have to imagine in your, in your mind, uh, especially before the harvest, you know, the, the, the vintners walking row by row looking for the best grapes and selecting the best grapes, you can make uh, your best wine. And uh, and uh, and the best wine should be a Grand Selezione. Uh, the quality is also certified because the when uh, a winemaker wants to make a Grand Selezione wine, should be uh, submit a sample to the to the to the certification panel, and uh, they do an analysis, chemical analysis, and also a blind tasting. Only if they say yes, if they approve, you can bottle and label as and put in the market as Gran Selezione.
0: And, and is there a minimum for Sangiovese with the Gran Selezione?
1: Yeah, in, at, at the moment, 80%, but uh, uh, we just modified the production rules. And uh, in, a, in a couple of months, uh, I hope the Minister of Agriculture will finally sign the, the, the paper, our proposal, and uh, so there will be an increase of the percentage of Sangiovese from 80 to 90% minimum. Yeah. And uh, there will be no more international varieties in the blend. Uh, mm-hmm. That is another very important step mm-hmm. in order to have more purity and in order to compare the Grand Selezione coming from the different ma- sub-regions of Chianti mm-hmm. Classico, mm-hmm. because that is another another very important point.
0: You know, Tell which- us about that. This is so-called zonazione, isn't it, that's happening as well, yeah?
1: Yeah, we... we
0: UGA's they're called, aren't they?
1: UGA means yeah. uh, geographical additional unit, uh, like sub-regions or sub-zones. And uh, so we were able to subdivide the territory in 11 different sub each one with a, a different... Uh, a combination of uh, natural factors, but also human factors. That is very important because that is the base of uh, the concept of terroir. You know? um, uh, human factors are local local tradition or uh, exchanging informations uh, uh, and knowledge between the producers. Or, uh, you know, the history of the the place, the culture, the sense of uh, community, all all things that are very important to reinforce, to create an identity, uh, also in the wine. Uh, So, it it was uh, also necessary and useful to subdivide the territory because the territory is so complex and so varying. We don't make the same wine from north to south or east to west. A Chianti Classico from San Casciano is very different from uh, a Chianti Classico made in Castanobre artenga the very south. Mm. And uh, so it was uh, I think even uh, uh, even in, even in uh, among the, the wine lovers, the consumers, I think the desire to know more in depth the link between the wine that they are tasting and uh, the place that uh, gave birth to that wine. Mm. I think that desire is uh, is is growing, is increasing. Uh, when I'm um, pouring my wine in a, in a uh, walk-around tasting behind the table with a bottle in my hand, uh, less and less people are asking me how many months in balance. Yeah, That is that's something that's not, not, not so more interesting. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. and, but every, more and more people are asking me, what kind of soil do you have? Mm-hmm. What, is your, what kind of microclimate? Mm-hmm. Which is the elevation of your vineyards? So those are the informations that they want to know. Mm, and yeah. writing the name of uh, the sub-region on the label, starting from the Gran Selezione, I think it's a great step No, in the right direction. So Chianti Classico
0: will become like like Barolo or, or Burgundy, where people are into, people know the different villages ideally, and they'll start to say, okay, this is a different style because it's at this altitude or it faces yes. north or south or whatever, or the soil type or whatever, yeah? Perfect, perfect. Yeah.
1: That is the goal and uh, and we are we started to talk about that in the, back in the 80s mm-hmm. so we took a lo- quite a long time but uh, you know in in italy we say rome is not built in one in a week. day exactly <laughs> well, maybe day in a day.
0: Maybe, <laughs> maybe that's a good thing that you've taken time really and <laughs> listen, i want to ask you about this because you're the president of the County Classico consortium as we said you've been president since 2018 you're now in your in your second term do you like politics do, do you like kind of all that side of what you do ah uh, it's, it's a big question <laughs>
1: uh they you know when i when they asked me to become a president back in 2018 uh, i i accepted because first of all my children just uh, joined me mm. so i could spend some of my day uh, in a, something different doing mm. something different that is the first, the first, uh, decision. And also because so many people asked me to do, to become the president from, uh, the larger estates, the largest to the, to the smallest, you know, uh, very small artisans to the bigger company. Mm. Um, I hope to do well. I don't know, <laughs> but, uh, It's uh, it's quite, uh, you know, it's a big responsibility. Mm. But when things are going good, it's also a great joy, and uh, especially to to do something for the community. Yeah. It's, uh, to,
0: it's sort of giving back. Yeah, and if you've done it for the second time, you're doing it for the second time, that means you must quite like it, right? Yeah, I'm doing the second term. We have one more year to, to, to work
1: at the Consorzio and then uh, I think it's time to that's enough <laughs> to, to, leave, to leave the chair to somebody else.
0: Yeah. I mean, one of the things you're doing, this is very interesting, is you're, you're, you're looking at climate change yeah, and you're planning for the future. Can you just tell us a little bit about what the consortium is doing in terms of that?
1: yeah um we we want to start a new project like the ones we did in the in the nineties uh, just to study um uh, how to you know improve how to um, uh, replant our vineyards in the future um experimenting uh, you know the right combination between clones and uh, and rootstocks or uh, uh, experimenting good practices that can be helpful for the vines to resist much better to the to the, to the extreme weather conditions that we are facing more and more uh, I think is something very very important so it, it will be a big investment for all, all the winters but I think it's necessary mm. because at the moment we are not so hard by by the the, the global warming. And if we look back, uh, we had a long line of uh, great vintages uh, in a row. Uh, something never never happened before. But we are quite worried for the future. Uh, what is going to happen if if the trend will continue? You know, to, mm-hmm. so if the temperature will continue to grow, um, or if there will be more modification in the rainfall or uh, something like that. So uh, we want to, to to experiment. We want to mm-hmm. invest in uh, uh, experimenting and studying, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a Chianti Classico vineyard for the
0: 2030 or 2040. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think is uh, something very, very good. Positive. Because Chianti Classico has changed a lot in, in your lifetime. I mean, how, do, how is it going to change, do you think, over the next 20 years? Is that almost the biggest challenge, do you think, climate change?
1: Uh, w- w- one of the challenge, but I'm uh, very positive for the future because uh, I can see, a l- everybody all the, all my you know colleagues uh, there are 500 different estates in Chianti Classico it's a, it's a large group but believe me all of them uh, are committed to quality so they work very hard day by day to to improve the quality of their wines mm-hmm. uh, there is another positive trend that is a sustainability or going to in um, the direction of organic or biodynamic at the moment, 60% of the vineyards are grown with organic methods. It's wow. one of one of the highest percentage. Uh, I'm talking about Italian appellation, yeah. but uh, 60% is uh, makes Chianti Classico probably the the, the, the the appellation with the highest percentage of organic vineyards. And this is another very positive trend. Mm-hmm. And another point is, uh, you say the the increase of professionality. Mm-hmm and uh, a new generation of winemakers or a new generation of vintners with a lot of passion a lot of passion for quality and um, you know every year in February we have uh, our main event that is the Chianti Classical collection uh, that we we arrange in Florence and uh, it's it's a joy for me to discover new wines new Chianti Classical wines from uh, new producers from uh, young producers and very talented uh, ones and uh, there are Every year, a lot of them, new wines, a lot of new wines uh, to be discovered and uh, they are really, really good. So I think that the future will be bright for the for Chianti
0: Classico. Well, that's good to hear, isn't it? Last question is how you get away from wine. I mean, you've got a busy man, you've got an estate to run, you're president of the consortium. How do you relax? Uh, cycling, cycling. Uh, this is what I, what I like to do to...
1: to, I said, to maintaining shape <laughs> because as you as you can imagine uh, we uh i i, I go to a restaurant quite very often and uh drinking wine and uh, having good good food uh so we i have to do something to 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 maintain my my body in uh, in health and cycling is what i love to do and chianti classico believe me is a is a magic place also for cycling not only for to make wine but also also for cycling is a you know, round uh, but a lot of hills, right? A <laughs> lot of hills, uh, but uh, round hills uh, and uh, not so much traffic, and uh, especially during this time of the year, in the springtime, uh, it's it's a beauty. It's a
0: beauty. Yeah. Listen, um, Giovanni, you can't go cycling today, at least not till after work, because it's not a bank holiday where you are. But it's been fascinating talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing your passion and your vision for Ganti Classica with us today.
1: Thank you very much, Tim. Thank you for having me. And, uh, you know, I hope to see you soon in Chianti Classico. Bye-bye. Ciao.
0: What a brilliant, passionate and fascinating man Giovanni is. And he's lucky to live in such a beautiful spot. Next week on Cork Talk, my guest is David Gleave, Master of Wine from Liberty Wines. Join me then. Thanks for listening to Cork Talk. If you want to read more reports, articles and tasting notes by me, go to my website, timatkin.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Tim Atkin and on Instagram at Tim Atkin MW. See you next week.